Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast. I am Michael, and tonight I am joined with a extra special guest co-host, uh, Craig Campbell from Nerdburger Games, the uh, award-winning designer of RPGs such as Capers, <laughs> as well as Die Laughing, and what was the other one? Murders and Acquisitions. Murder, that is correct. Murders and Acquisitions. I'm glad you knew that because I should have. Uh, yeah, Craig, well, I hope so, yeah. Welcome back to the show. Um, thank you. Is this the first time I've been on the Twitch? No, I think I've been on something with you guys. Yeah, I'm pretty sure this is your second or third overall second on Twitch. I, I think that you might have been on um, on just an audio only once, maybe. I don't remember. I'm trying to We did a, a, a what's the detention? Was that on Twitch at the time? I'm sorry. Detention was that a yes. Twitch thing? I think that's the one that we twitched. Yeah, that was our original. Uh, when we first started doing the live shows, they were all detentions. Now it's to kind of yeah. become a catch-all to whatever type of show we're doing. Uh, mm -hmm. In fact, tonight it's going to be a faculty meeting. Uh, one twenty-nine. We're going to talk about supplements, among some other things. Uh, I got a few curveballs. I'm probably going to throw uh, at uh, at you, uh, but it looks mm -hmm. like we do have a couple people in chat. Um, Sheriff Jitsorian at least has joined us. So hello to you. A uh, couple of things off the top. I just wanted to say, um, just remind everybody, we are still having our Twitch follower giveaway. When we get to 500 Twitch followers, we're at 353 as of today. We're going to give away a copy of the D&D Rule Cyclopedia to one of those 500 people. Um, is, this is the print-on-demand version through DriveThruRPG. Uh, it is a flashback to my childhood. I, I, I started with Basic, but this was the, the game I played probably most, um, at least in my, my formative years. I have very fond memories and love this book. Um, so I'd like to give one away to someone else who might enjoy it as much as I do. Old school. Yeah. Nice. Um, I also, this episode is is actually uh, sponsored by the Crit Academy podcast. I was a guest on their show a few months back now. They were, uh, one of their hosts was a guest on ours. Um, there's actually a lot of similarity between our two shows, and I, I, I apologize for anyone who takes that as an offense. Uh, but, but the people who run that show are really good people. Uh, they also, I said there's similarities in like the way they present information. Um and they sent me one of the uh, DMs Guild books they put together. It's called Unearthed Tips and Tricks, Volume 1. And basically, I'm jealous because they were smart and I wasn't. And they just took all the stuff they talk about on their shows and put it into a really cool-looking PDF. It's got awesome art. It's formatted. It looks professional. Um, I read over it. I'm not the target audience because I've been running games for a very long time. But I can certainly see someone who is newer getting a lot of value from it. It's sure. basically in four sections. There's like a player's um, like backgrounds. Like, you know, if you want to play this type of character, maybe it's not really like mechanics. It's just like, here's a concept that maybe you hadn't thought of. Um, then there are uh, magic items that you can add in. There's DM tips and tricks. So it's kind of a DM and player book. Uh, they sent me a copy. I read through it. Um, again, I'm not the target audience, so it's hard for me to say it's it's the best thing in the world. But it was cool. I'm glad I got it. I, I got some use out of it. I think anyone else who was would to buy, were to buy it would as well. Uh, so if it's something you're interested, go into DMs Guild and look for Unearth, Unearth Tips and Tricks Volume 1 from the folks at Trit Academy, or excuse me, <laughs> Crit, not Twit. <laughs> I, I was over here looking at something and Twitter, got myself. Twitch, one of those, T, yeah. One of those things, yes. And, right, and now for the big announcement, um, 
This one's a bit of a dour note, so we're gonna we're gonna have to go down and then come back up. So, Craig, I'm gonna put all the weight on your shoulders uh, to bring us out of this. Uh, but I'm making the official announcement tonight that the RPG Academy Network is disbanding. Uh, the RPG Academy podcast going to continue as usual. A catacomb still going to happen as usual. All the various shows that are part of the network now are going to continue, as far as I know, without any interruption or changes. Uh, but there will no longer be an umbrella of the network that we're all affiliated through. We're all going to be our each own individual shows once again. Uh, there's no animosity. We still all like and love and respect each other. But uh, the network wasn't exactly doing what it needed to do. And we weren't willing to do what we needed to do to change that. So um, it was kind of a collective decision. I made the final call. Uh, it's going to be official, official as of Monday, because there's only like two people who are going to hear this tonight. And this episode will be audio only on Monday. So that's when it will pretty much be, be announced to everyone. Uh, but yeah, the RPG Academy Network uh, is no more. So with that out of the way, Craig, how the hell are you, buddy? I'm pretty good. Um, I don't have any bad news to uh, to announce. I've got all sorts of good news. Well, so let's, yeah, well, tell us about this award-winning uh, capers. Um, yeah, that was that kind of came out of the blue. I mean, you know, if if you're in the RPG community, you know that there's the Ennies, the Indie Groundbreaker Awards, the Diana Jones Award. Um, there's a few other things that are kind of mostly online. There's like there's little things that pop up, and then there's some um, a number of kind of uh, more genre specific kind of awards and there's uh there's an award uh, called the this is this is it's it's tough to say so i'm going to spell it too the bamf sees b-a-m-f you know a la nightcrawler sure yeah uh, yeah um the bamf sees um is a uh an, an award that they do at the beginning of every year that covers the previous year for supers games and uh, Capers won uh one of the judges spotlight awards so it didn't win the big cool um award for uh for uh, uh like you know the player's choice kind of thing um because it, quite frankly i'm not surprised it's not as well known as some of the other um, more popular supers games out there the really well known ones but uh yeah i've got a little award so now i i get to spray award winning game designer and award winning game oh, <laughs> i've got a ton of mileage out of that any nomination like i i i'm gonna carry that to my grave yeah so I had to like last minute change to I'm, I'm making a getting a yard sign like a two foot by three foot yard sign to use at conventions mm -hmm. made and so I was getting getting ready to make that right when the award came out and it's like oh okay slap that on there <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah it was it was uh, it was surprising it was um, it was flattering and uh, a little humbling and you know and and the great thing about the, uh, the the like the broader award of like for the game not not for the design or the rules you know not for specific it's for the game. That means that Beth Varney is an award-winning illustrator, and Owen uh, Saint Gilles is a uh, an award-winning graphic designer, and um, Mike Mike Brock is an award-winning cartographer, and so forth and so on. Um, so because it's kind of for everything, the whole package. So that was cool. All right, and then as you mentioned, uh, Die Laughing just recently came out. That's the newest game you designed. So what's the skinny on this one? This future award-winning game. <laughs> I don't know if that's going to happen, but I mean, it's it's a it's a kind of a GMless short play game that's basically zero prep, um, where you play everybody plays a character in a horror comedy movie, um, and everybody's going to die. So make it funny. 
and uh, you know it plays in just a couple hours. Um, when your character bites the big one, you become a producer on the movie and continue to screw around and, and manipulate the story and influence it. So you get, you have things to do after your character dies. So that just came out. Um, it's on Drive Through RPG. You know it'll be making its way into conventions and things too. Uh, maybe into some game stores if things go well. All right. Uh, um, you know, it's a ten dollar PDF. It's a small kind of a small thing. Real simple game. Okay. When this comes out, audio only. If you send me the links, I'll drop all that into the show notes. So if anybody sure. wants to check out any of the stuff they can currently get their hands on, then make it easy for them. Uh, and in a second, we're going to talk about something coming up from you that's brand new that you're working on. But before we do that, I want to throw it out to the audience because we got a few people in there. Um, I need two random numbers for something we're going to do later. I need a 1 through 12 and a 1 through 18. So if uh, one person would like to throw that out uh please mark which one it is because it could potentially be the number for either of the, the ones unless it's higher than 12 um and then the, that will become important later so so sheriff jetsorian says 11 again is that the one to 12 11 or is that one to 18 11 it's a terrible system and i'm sorry let's assume one to 20 all right um so yeah, we got is the one to 12 and yeah the three right. is one to 18. perfect 11 and Three. Thank you both very, very much. Um, and you know, thank you, uh, Jet Sorian. Again, uh, uh, the news about the network breaking up. I'm to, to a small group of people. I think that's going to be very important to the wider world. Most people don't care. Um, and I, I don't want to take this entire show tonight to talk about that because I want to talk to Craig about what he's doing. But I certainly will be available if there are any questions. You know, we can talk about it. I'll be very open about what happened and why. Um, I just feel like it was the best decision for everyone. I, I truly believe that it's the best decision for everyone. As much as it makes me sad that it happened, I think long-term it's the best for everyone. But, again, we're not going to dwell on that too much tonight. So, Craig, you have a supplement coming out to Capers. Again, your award-winning RPG. Um, so that's going to kind of be the impetus to some of the other things that we talk about. So let's start with what this is, and then we're going to talk about some general concept about supplements. So what is this new supplement for Capers you're working on? Um, well, it's called Capers Noir, and it's taking uh, the Capers game, and it's a supplement in the kind of the truest sense of the word, and then it's going to give you a whole bunch of new stuff, the new player stuff, new uh, stuff for the GM, tools for the GM. Um, but then I thought, you know, when I was when I was – thinking about doing the supplement, I thought, well, you, I could just like do a book that just like slams a whole bunch of extra stuff. Like here's more powers, here's um, expanded rules or character options or whatever. But I thought I'd like, I want to, I want to build the setting um, a little bit. And the, the, the core book is, you know, the core game is set in prohibition era, 1920s. And it's, it's got a pretty well fleshed out setting. So I took for Capers Noir, I, I moved the setting forward to the 1940s. Um, and prevent, present an alternate setting in there that's 1940s um, and the backdrop that's provided in, in the book is Los Angeles, although you could set it in whatever city you want. Um, and it's, uh, it shifts the story or the, the kind of the setting and the tone from kind of prohibition shoot 'em up to um, moody, slow-paced, uh, uh, noir, mystery kind of stories um, involving criminals and, and law enforcement, which is still the, the center of the game. So, um, and then, so like a, a fair amount of the powers and the other things that are in there kind of feed to that and help that to, to be realized. But then all of that stuff is perfectly usable in the core game. Okay. And when is this coming out? 
Uh, it's coming on March 12th. That's a Tuesday, um, like that morning, probably nine or nine o'clock or so Eastern. Um, $10 PDF um, that gets you also a discount link to get the uh, soft cover book. Um, and then there's going to be uh, backer levels in there as well for if you missed out on capers, you can get the, the core game by itself. You can get the core game plus noir. And then there's a handful of other things that kind of get you some other stuff too. All right. Very, very cool. Um, and again, this is a terrible segue, but uh, there's a very good chance you're also going to be at a catacon this year. Uh, there's yeah. a there's a few potential hiccups with like time off and you know that kind of thing, uh, but we're assuming right now that you're going to be at a catacon. So is there a chance that there might be some noir capers being played? Oh, I imagine. Um, well, my thought was that for if it, the, I've been to a catacon twice, and both times I did the demo table thing. Mm -hmm. So I had people sit down, and I could kind of show them capers. I I, I would schedule a few games of die laughing because those are short; they take like two hours. Um, and I've been thinking about the, the Acaticon thing uh, for me this year. And, if, you know, assuming I go and it's it's looking pretty likely, um, what I expect to probably do is rather than doing the demo table is that I will schedule actual full length events. Um, and so I'll probably have, there'll be a Capers game in there, a Capers Noir game, some Die Laughing. Um, there may be a, uh, a little sneak peek of something else that's kind of coming down the road. And, um, and then I'm going to go ahead and actually schedule like, you know, a set, maybe like two sessions for me to go play um, <laughs> and let this, let, let a catacomb be for Craig a little bit more than uh, not entirely just for Nerdburger games. And, uh, and that is one of the things that we, we want to encourage with our special guests. Like that's one of the benefits of a catacomb, not to again, get onto that too much, but I want all of our special guests to just also play games. Like, I don't want them to always feel like they have to be, like, on stage or they have to be running events. If they want to, great, because most of them probably do. They, You know, that's what they do. But I, you know, I, some of the best stories I've gotten from a catacomb is from people who said, yeah, Rich Baker just sat down and played in my game. Or, you know, Jim McClure just jumped into a game and that kind of thing. So I not only is it a benefit, obviously, to me and to the event when that happens, but I want you to have fun, too. I want our special guests to look forward to coming to a catacomb because it's as much for them as it is for the other people that they get to play with. So uh, that's anyway, the plan. That is the plan. So hopefully it will work out. Um, so, yeah, Sheriff Jetsorian said that I might be able to make it this year as well. That would be fantastic. Um, we want to talk a little bit about supplements as, a, as like the concept. Um, so in your mind, obviously you've got one coming out, so you've got some opinions, but <laughs> what, what is the role of a supplement? What should it do? And more importantly, what shouldn't it do? Um, well, I think, you know, there's, there's a number of ty different types of supplements. There are supplements that provide additional options, um, for, for players and their characters. There are supplements that flesh out the world and the setting. Um, there are supplements that provide advice, uh, uh, to particularly to the GMs, um, but do you sometimes do see supplements that are kind of geared at least in part as advice toward players as well? It's just like you know more kind of information about how to how to role playing, different things that you can do, and how you can build backstory and all those sorts of things. Um, and um, I think you know there's there's a supplements that do all those different things. It's it's you know it's really kind of like finding a niche for the supplement, like what's the supplement about finding something that you can kind of, it's, cause it's a sales thing too, right? So you need to find like something that needs to be something that the players of the game want and it needs to be packaged in such a way that it's going to be like 
go to the right people. If you have like a rather fat supplement that's mostly character options, then the ideal situation is to have it have a lot of character options for a lot of different classes or builds or whatever. Um, unless you're one of the giant monster games uh, like D&D can do a, you know, a, a player uh, or character option supplement that's entirely geared toward fighting types. <laughs> and then they can do another one for, for arcane magic and another one for divine magic and another one for skill-based characters and, and those will sell fine. But for smaller companies, sometimes it needs to, you know, you got to try to hit uh, more of the game mm-hmm. um, and more of the player base and the different types of characters. So um, for the majority of my gaming career uh, or life or existence, however you, you want to frame that, I've pretty much been a and er Like, that's what I started with. It's still what I play the most. I You can see the collection behind me. I have a bunch of new and other games and smaller games. And I, I love pretty much all of them because I've played all of them and they're great. But it, I just gravitate back to D&D for whatever reason. It's, 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 again, it's like my first love. You never forget your first. Yeah, yeah, um, sure. It's the one I started playing with, so I have some nostalgia for it. Um, but I know that like, you know, 3.5, that was kind of the, uh, the thing that m- a lot of people have talked about the negativity is that there were so many books, so many supplements that it kind of became almost unwieldy. And I know some people love that. So I'm not trying to make judgment calls, but Pathfinder exists on the fact that you have 4 billion source books. So you can <laughs> mechanically create any sort of character you want. People love that. Great. For me, it's that power bloat that every new book has to offer something new or different because otherwise people are going to buy it. Because again, at the end of the day, those books are made because people are trying to make money so they can make another book. No, Again, no judgments there. That's just the way the world works. So a lot of times the way you entice people to buy the next book is that it's a little bit more powerful or in some way it, it, it combos in a certain way. And then like Magic the Gathering, when you have so many books out, eventually you're going to find a combo that you didn't anticipate because this feed in this source book and then this skill in this source book combined together. No one even thought that would be an option. And now you instantly win. So you got to do a rat and fix it. Um, so I think that's where supplements can become a bad thing. They, they keep sales, which helps the companies continue to make stuff. So it's, it's like a necessary evil, but that's what I don't want to see in a lot of supplements is it's just new stuff for the sake of being new or it's more powerful just to be an enticing sales tactic. So I, again, I assume that's not what your Noir Capers supplement is about. It's about giving additional options and, and like I said, maybe some advice. Um, so, so what is it about the Noir setting that you thought, I'm going to do a supplement, that's where I want it to be? Um, well, the, the idea was I can, rather than just blow the, uh, the setting up the, the prohibition era setting and just make that bigger as I could take it to, an, you know, like push it forward 20 years and give you an alternate, you know, like a different kind of game experience using the same rule set, using, uh, you know, the same basic cops and criminals kind of stories. Um, so, you know, I went with the noir thing. It kind of fit for the forties, uh, you know, forties and fifties are uh, well known for the classic, uh, black and white noir films, um, is much, you know, even though I'm, I'm probably more of a fan of your more contemporary noir stuff. And um, it just, it provided a different setting or a different, uh, a different tone, you know? Um, and I think that there's, you know, there's a number of games out there that have done that. And like Deadlands uh, back in the day, if you recall, there was the Weird West setting set in the uh, 1876. It had a whole bunch of supplements that came out for it. You know, like just all the ones that you would expect. There was a different supplement, a different book for each of the arcane backgrounds and 
and some a uh, handful of setting box sets and so forth. And then they took that game setting and they pushed it into the near apocalyptic future where everything that was starting to go wrong in Deadlands ultimately went really wrong. And uh, there's a post-apocalyptic game. And then eventually they even did um, a science fiction game called, uh, uh, what was it called? Lost World? I'm blanking on the name. They only ended up doing one book for it. They ended up just doing like a core book for it. Um, because by that time, the, the, the Deadlands um, IP was kind of winding down. It wasn't getting the plays it did before. And the Pinnacle guys took the system and eventually they were turning that into Savage Worlds. Gotcha. Uh, Relative uh, D-Pod said Lost Colony. Is Lost what... Colony, yeah. Because they basically it was like they were colonizing another planet. And s instead of there being Native Americans, there were natives of that planet. And it, you know, it, it drew allegories like that. Gotcha. Um, but they, they, never, they never did quite do a whole bunch of... Uh, you know, the full spread of, of supplements for that particular game world, but they gave you different flavors. That was kind of the intention with Noir. And I think, you know, a lot of games have done that. I mean, D&D, &D, um, third edition, if you go back to that, they've had supplements that were things like Stormwrack. Here's for if you want to run a naval campaign um, or Sandstorm, which is like if you're going to set, you could set a whole campaign in the desert. Here's a, here's a book that tells you all sorts of fun stuff that you can do with the desert. And of course, you've got different worlds. Forgotten Realms and, and Greyhawk and so forth. So Game so Master's Vault spread that. You know, they, they they take it to different settings that give you slightly different feels for the game. So Games Master's Vault actually kind of asked that question is so so what is the difference between a setting like Dark Sun for D D or Forgotten Realms versus um, Eberron versus a supplement? Like like where is there is there a line? Is it like a gray line? <laughs> I mean, I would argue that a, a, a setting, even if it's very different, an alternate setting is a supplement because you could take new psionic powers that are just, that are described in a Dark Sun supplement or you know, Dark Sun setting, and you could use those in your regular D&D &D game if you're using psionics. You know, you could take creatures from Dragonlance. If you know, if you want, uh, if you want draconians in the Forgotten Realms, there's nothing stopping you. Um, you know, but. It, it, in, in the in a more true in a truer sense, you know, a, a supplement is an expansion of the the kind of the core game. It may you know you may, maybe the quote unquote true supplement is you know doesn't deviate um, so far from the core of what the game is. And if D and D is heroic epic fantasy, um, you know, Dark Sun is more survival kind of stuff, and and Dragonlance has this uh, um, kind of really deep story. Um, that's built, you know, where the world and the gods and, and the, the war of the lands and everything play such an important role. That's so there's different feels. You know, it's it's a gray area. It really, like you know, mm -hmm. a, a setting can be very much a supplement, and that's what I'm counting on for for noir is that you can take those powers and just play it in the regular game. Gotcha. So I know one of the things that I guess I'm I'm more familiar with. This is back in my second edition days. Is there was a whole series of books. Um, they were like these handbooks. It was like the ultimate guide to elves or the ultimate guide to rogues. There were castles and keeps and that type of thing. There's like these just different books that were, there were very little rules, but it was just a lot of inspiration. And that's, I guess, just me as Michael as the consumer. If I'm, if I love a game like D and D or another, and I want to support the creators and I want to get, I want to get more inspiration. That's what I'm looking for mostly in a supplement. Yeah, sure, if you give me a new rule, uh, maybe a one new class or that kind of thing, maybe some additional spells. But mostly I just want something to inspire me in how I can, because I'm going to probably homebrew everything anyways, but elements I can pick and choose from that they, they would work in the current game 
if we want them to, but they're flavored to work in this other setting. Um, so they're connected, but they're not dependent on each other. Does that make sense? Sure, you could do that. You know, if you if you do a home, if you run a homebrew D and D world where it's your own setting, you're not going to run a published setting. You know, you could hodgepodge it all together from different stuff. You say, "Oh, defiling magic's kind of cool. Let's put that in my world." From dark, we'll pull the defiling magic out of Dark Sun, um, and we'll pull like I was talking about, like draconians out of out of, of Dragonlance, and we'll pull. Uh, we'll use the pantheon from from Greyhawk because everybody likes that pantheon. Um, but then you know we'll we'll you know use the base races from the player's handbook, and then there's a supplement that comes out that adds like you know Kenku or something. It's like oh yeah, bird people. Okay, we'll throw that in there. We want bird people. Let's let's give them a home, give them a, a roost somewhere. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's all it's all fair game. And then on top of it, you know you. Uh, you find uh, you like deadlines and you like the the Mojave Rattler, which is like the you know it's this giant worm creature that's a lot like the creature from Tremors. Um, you know, hey, let's let's I'll stat up a, a version of that. <laughs> I'll take the purple worm and I'll and I'll skin it a little differently and add a couple of power you know abilities to it because I like that creature in Deadlands, so I'm going to put that thing out in my desert in uh, in D and D. Okay, so do you have any favorite? supplements that you know that you have read uh capers excluded of course <laughs> right uh, favorite supplements yeah anything comes to mind uh um, sheriff jessorian says trimmers go on um i, I will jump in here while you're thinking uh the first trimmers movie is great i mean it is legitimately a good movie it's fun it's funny it's kind of scary it has Kevin Bacon in it and Reba McIntyre for some reason. Um, I legitimately love the first Tremors movies. Everyone after that, not so much. And it doesn't go straight down. It actually kind of goes down and then back up and then it goes way down. Uh, there's one that came out recently that was um, Netflix, like direct to Netflix. And it was like, they were in the Arctic. It was like ice Tremors. Oh, it was bad. I mean, this was like Mystery Science Theater 3000 bad um, but legitimately first one, solid, good movie. Uh, and then also relative, uh, where'd it go? Oh, relative Depot also mentioned that Deadlands and Dark Sun, top of mind, good, good things to be talking about. Yeah, I would say that um, just to, to hit on a couple of things that I already talked about, I loved, you know, I thought the Deadlands supplements were all very solid. Um, they gave you like a handful of things, like you had a, a supplement for the Huckster and one for the Blessed characters and one for the Harrowed. Um, and then you had setting stuff and then you had a few other things too. They did like a law dog supplement, which is all about, uh, um, law enforcement, um, both in the North and the South, um, of the Deadland setting. And, uh, they had a, a couple of uh, supplements for back East. So you could take your Western characters back. Gotcha. There was uh, back East, the North and back East, the South. So you could take them back and you could, you know, see what's going on in Atlanta or what's going on in, in, in Pennsylvania and in, uh, you know, Philadelphia. Um, uh, for D and D stuff, like, wow, what's my, my probably my favorite just as far as like giving so much good information was if you recall in third edition D and D there was the the Forgotten Realms campaign setting book, mm -hmm. big fat hardcover which was a really good campaign setting book, um, and then they did um, a a book that was entirely dedicated to the Forgotten Realms gods that was Faiths and Pantheons, if I remember correctly. I think that's what it was called. Um, that was really, really good. 
Does that sound familiar, Faiths and Pantheons? It does. I, like, I, I don't know enough to know if you're, I know what you're talking about, but I don't know if that's what it's called. But I, yeah, I know, I know what you're getting to there. Um, I, for me, I, going back to, I, just, I think I'm looking it up online real sure. quick. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's the one. Cause it had like the, yeah, the grayish white color uh, cover. Yeah. Uh, but I think Savage Worlds, I think that's a very interesting, um, so it's an interesting system. And I, I do like how pretty much everything works exactly the same. It's all trappings. And I think that's ripe for those different type of supplements because you don't really have to add a whole lot of rules. You can add a couple, like when they did the Deadlands version, they added grit. And then I think they took it away later because it was kind of crazy. Um, but it's basically, okay, you're a huckster. Unless you're here, then you're a sorcerer. Unless you're here, then you're like a space wizard, like, like a Jedi. Unless you're here, and then you're a mad scientist. Because uh, it all works exactly the same. So each new book is just giving you inspiration and then additional descriptors that you can put together in any way that you want. But I, I do like that. Yeah, there's like a fantasy version. There's a sci-fi. There's a horror. There's the Deadlands. There's a you know Weird West. There's a World War version. Um, I just think that it, it works. In my mind, it works better for that type of system than like a D&D because of that power bloat that you have. But I think 5th edition is doing it differently. I think they're doing it better. They're slowing it down. But it, it's going to get there eventually. Like, it's just, it has to. The, you know, the nature of the well, business, someday they're going to be like, hey, here's a player's handbook too. You no longer want to play anything in player's handbook one because these are so much better. Uh, uh, Some well, of okay. riffs and GURPS also. Yeah, and it may. It may with 5th with, uh, edition D&D. Um, one thing that they are, they are, covering themselves with um, as far as like the Adventures League play. And, like, and correct me if I'm wrong. I know that they were doing this, I think, but I, I, I don't play Adventures League stuff, but they, they did a thing where they limited it to like, if you're playing a character, you get to play core book plus one. I, I know Pathfinder did that, but I, I don't know if D&D maybe. To, to, cut, to cut down on, I mean, I just remember hearing about that to cut down on like, okay, I'm going to show up with, here's the core book and I'm going to have these other six supplements. I'm going to feet from there and two spells from there and, you know, my familiars from this book and it just becomes, right. and then, and then you're, that's what you're talking about is the rules bloat. And more specifically, uh, the cross pollination of things where you find the broken combos. Right. And um, yeah, people who love that more power to you, but that's not the type of game I want to play in. That's certainly not the type of game I want to run. So, and, I, it's, and, and it's not really conducive to convention play and living campaign because, um, uh, you know, you're going to, if, if, if everybody's in a home game, that's kind of the social contract is that we're going to power game, you know, I don't want to say power game, that, that's, that's probably the way, but we're going to, we're going to game the system um, and find all those things and really build great, you know, really, really uh, exceptionally um, capable characters. That's great. But, you know, then you go to, you know, you take that character and sit down at a convention with somebody that's brand new to D&D and they've just got the player's handbook and all you're going to do is make them want to go home and never come to a convention again. Right. Um, or go spend all the money. Unless you're just a really good person about it and you, and you <laughs> know how to rein it in. And, yeah. Um, but if you go in there and you try to show off and, and, you know, you can kind of blow up the table pretty quickly. And, um, and, and again, I don't want to get into that conversation, but it's, it's maximizing your fun at the minimization of other people. I think that's where min-maxing really should be talked about because I get to kill everything and you get to watch my character be awesome. I don't, for, for many people, that's not fun. If you have a DM that can roll with it and they can either create encounters or adjust encounters on the fly to keep everything moving. And then it just becomes like this over the top, crazy action movie that everyone's having a blast. Great. Uh, but myself, I would be like, I guess you killed the dragon. 
we're done. You get all the treasure at the end. Um, <laughs> probably, I, I'm gonna guess that this isn't a wi- a wildly known wild wildly wi- widely. I cannot talk. It also says my internet connection is unstable, so we may be uh, blurting out. But this um, this came out for fourth edition. It's a player strategy guide, and I actually think it was done by the um, was it the PAX people, the acquisition. Or Penny uh, Arcade. Penny Arcade folks. Yeah, yeah Penny Arcade folks. Um, it's a very interesting supplement. It, it's it's kind of tongue and cheeky a little bit. I, I like some of the things that it does. I think it's kind of funny, but it covers things that I never would have thought of if I was trying trying to help someone learn to be a player. Because again, I I don't focus as much on that. But even things that it like breaks down the math on how you should like coordinate fire. And it shows you like you're fighting four bad guys and there's four of you and each of you attacks each of your own bad guy in round two, you're taking four attacks in round three, you're taking four attacks. But if everyone hits the same target, you're taking four attacks, then three attacks then two attacks. And it's just it's like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense from a tactical standpoint. You really should focus fire if that's feasible within the game and the narrative of the game. But it's not something I ever would have thought to tell anyone, you know, like, Maybe like in the moment, we might say, well, you should probably attack that one because, you know, Jim already hit that one. But I just, wizard, thought, the yeah, I just thought it was such a cool thing to include. I just I never would have thought to have done that. So from just like learning how to be a player, not necessarily min maxi, but just the, some of the core concepts. I actually think this is a very valuable book. Um, it's also got some really cool art because, again, it's the Penny Arcade people. Um, I know some people don't like those folks. That's fine too, but if you don't mind them or if you like them, I think this is actually kind of a cool book. Uh, it pairs well uh, with the uh, D&D 4th edition DMG2, which is really full of DM advice. Um, like the first DMG for 4th um, edition kind of got the it got the DMG thing out of the way. It's like, okay, here's all your magic items and here's all this other crap. And, um, you know, and there was some, there was some adventures, you know, it's some... Uh, uh, advice kind of oriented stuff, but it was, it got the really basic stuff out of the way. And then the DMG two was like, okay, well, here's all this other great stuff that DMs can keep in mind and little tricks and tools you can use. Um, I mean, just as, as a DMs guide for any game, it's really solid. Yeah. I've heard many people say that the DMG two for fourth edition is like one of the best how to DM guides that was ever made. Like if you want to be a good DM, that's one yeah. of the books you should seek out. Um, at one time I found one used and bought it. Then I gave it away to the catacomb as a prize. So I don't have any more, but I think, cause I still have I've got one around here somewhere on my fourth edition stuff. I've kept it. Um, again, and that's a whole other train we don't need to get onto. I don't think fourth edition was the devil, but I did sour on it. The more I played it, the less I liked it, but it did a lot of really cool things and it brought a lot of new people into the hobby. So I, I'm very appreciative of that. Uh, so I kept on my stuff and, you know, I, I still say if I'm going to teach someone to play D&D, fourth edition might be the easiest edition to do it. I'm in fifth now and that's what I'm working with. But like if I was like, you know, gun to my head or like some kind of weird like reality TV challenge, can you get four people to play D&D in half an hour? I'm going to play fourth edition because I think that's the easiest one to to teach and run uh, without a lot of prep from like I, the mechanics because it's so it's almost I'd too agree. mechanical. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, you know, just the first level character starting out, it's like, okay, here's a character, here's a bunch of your, you know, your power choices, pick your skills, pick your, you know, spend some, spend some money, design your scores, boom. And, and, and again, here's your cards, like, cause I will make little power cards and like, yeah, these are the ones you can use anytime. These are the ones like, you use once. These are the ones you use once per encounter. And then you just flip them over when you use them. And the text is right on there. It says, oh, t- tide of iron, you know, and that yeah. kind of stuff. 
you don't have to be flipping through a book. Right. Which, and you don't just have to know it. Uh, because that is one thing, again, I love 5th edition, but I, I teach 5th edition a lot. I, almost every con I go to, I run one game specifically that says this is for people who've never played before. I'm going to teach you how to play 5th edition. And I have to make cheat sheets to give them because the character sheets, um, you know, I get them off the internet, I just download them. The text is way too small or there's just, there's an assumption of you have knowledge or it just says, see this book, you know, this page number. So I want them to just have everything in their hands that they need and fourth edition made that easier with the cards included fifth edition there's still a lot of um assumed knowledge or references that you have to follow up on if you really want to use your character effectively yeah teach um a teaching character sheet or a convention character sheet is different from a regular home game regular you know regular rpg player kind of character sheet i specifically for capers um, um i had my graphic designer like there's the standard character sheet that has it has a spot for for two for two powers um, for your character, um, and that's you know it's 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 in the back of the book. It's a PDF a form fillable PDF that you can get. I had him make a um, a version of that exact character sheet, but instead of having two powers, it's only got one big big box for powers, so that I can put the complete text mm-hmm. of the power and all the special boosts and everything that go with it right there, so they don't have to even look flip open the book. Um, to look at their their character's cool power. So then I'll just play the characters with like, they'll be just like, you know, starting level or slightly higher. So they only have one power and I'll let them, I'll, you know, I'll max out the power so that it's, all, it's as cool as it can be, but it's just one thing with all the text, which is handy. Um, and with, with uh, some games, that's harder to do, especially with spell casters and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one of the things I did is I have basically little cheat sheets. I, I, I pick the spells they get and I have like, here's your cantrip spells, all the text. Here's your level one spells with all the text. Um, if someone really wanted to change, I would let them, but it, then, again, then they have to use the book and that kind of thing. Uh, so just a couple comments have been scrolling by. I've been trying to keep up with them. Apparently there's a lot of love for riffs. Um, I, I never really played a whole lot of riffs myself uh, or GURPS. I, I played enough to know I didn't like GURPS. But I haven't played enough of Rips to know that I don't like Rips. Uh, when it comes to supplements, um, even if you're not into GURPS, and there, you know, there's there's a lot of them out there, and they're you got you know they're all out of print. You got to kind of find them and everything. But GURPS did, um, and that was mentioned in the chat earlier too. They did all these great setting books, um, where there's just like it's a book that's just full of just like this is in particular this one called Cliffhangers that I I, I really enjoy, and I've got a copy of somewhere um, that's just all about pulp adventures. It doesn't have really anything rules oriented in, in it. It just tells it tells you what the 20s and 30s are about, and it kind of just talks about pulp style adventures, um, and it gives you a whole bunch of a history, like world history of the era uh, of that era. And it's a great supplement for just running, uh, you know, kind of pulp those types of games, types of stories. Yeah. Um, so Sheriff Ditsorian talked about riffs. Was um, his riff fluff is amazing. The mechanics are ellipses interesting so i played in a a i think it's called savage riffs that was kickstarted last year the year before um i'd never played it before and someone put like glitter boy in in the chat i think that's what i was i was like a dog person i think those are called glitter boys again i don't really remember (laughs) but the only thing i I do remember was it was actually kind of a cool thing is i had this giant gun that's like this over-the-top anime type gun that whenever you shot it, there was a chance it would actually blow you backwards, like 30 or 40 feet. 
and I managed to get on top of this giant mech and I shot straight down at its head and then intentionally failed my save so that it threw me straight up in the air so I could keep shooting it almost like Metroid bombs I was just going up and away from it <laughs> constantly shooting down so it couldn't hit me until it was blown up and then I landed took some damage but it wasn't enough to kill me uh, so that it definitely um, made a memorable session I don't know that I loved the system but uh, but I remember that it's a fun story that I tell so it obviously had an impression on me <laughs> um, trying to think. So, um, any other settings that you can think? Or I guess we can talk about settings too. But any settings or supplements that you just again want to call out as something you like, and we'll throw out to chat. A couple of them have already gone through. But if anyone else has a particular setting or supplement that you think is a great one to throw out, we'll talk about it for a second. I think the uh, Fate does a really <laughs> good job um, with their. They have, uh, you know, like kind of setting type supplements and they have people put together like specific, um, like here's a game that's, you know, built around using the Fate Core system. And it's, you know, because Fate, Fate Core is, is, you know, just in case people aren't aware, is, is a generic, you know, kind of a use, universal system. Um, and so they, it's like, here's the core system. It's what it's, it's what it's built to be. It's a core system with all these different things you can wrap around it. Um, and there's different settings, and then they also do uh, like different stylistic and genre kind of things. They have put up like um, like a horror toolkit and a science fiction toolkit. That's like, okay, you want to play Fate with you know heavy duty sci-fi stuff or horror, or you know, there's, there's 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 a few different ones. Here's like here's a, a you know a pretty good sized book that's got just a bunch of that stuff. Um, and then you can you can add that onto a setting that might be appropriate, um, or you can build your own kind of world. But you know you've you've got the, all these extra tools at your disposal. Uh, so Game Masters Vault mentioned Star Frontiers was something they loved. Um, Sheriff Jitsorian mentioned Eden Studios. I'm not familiar with them. I guess um, uh, Eden, Eden does the um, Unisystem. All, all the All Flesh Must Be Eaten. Is that right? The zombie game. I, I'm not sure. Hopefully uh, Sheriff Jitsorian will let us know. <laughs> Excuse me. If only there was a network of information that spanned the world wide. I know. That we could all access from object, you know, from uh, electronic devices we keep in our pockets. Let's consult Dr. Internet. Um, <laughs> I don't think there's any others. Let me, uh, let me do some awful radio and just look behind me. Uh, oh, I want to uh, power or power by the apocalypse. Like do does oh, each yeah. game fall under the heading of supplement or, or setting? Cause it's all essentially the same rules. I would call those more hacks. Okay. That's, that's taking the rule system and hacking it into a, a different setting and a different type of game. Um, I don't know. Are there any things out there that I would call true supplements for Apocalypse World? There might be. I'm not familiar with all of them, but I think those are those are pretty pretty well hacks because usually when that gets uh, when an Apocalypse World game, you know, a powered by the Apocalypse World a powered by the apocalypse game um, gets turned into um, something else. It's like, here's, we're going to use the, the core system, but we're going to strip this thing out and we're going to invent this new thing. And we're going to kind of tweak this thing around and we're going to put together all new playbooks. Um, so it's, yeah, that's more hack oriented. Although, you know, if you have a couple of apocalypse world or, a, you know, a pop apocalypse um, system games, that are similar to enough to each other that you know stylistically you could borrow a, a playbook or a, a sub rule you know a, sub, a subsystem of rules or something. I'm sure there's people that have probably done that. Yeah, I, as someone who has tinkered a tiny little bit with game design, have has failed miserably and never finished any project I've worked on. Mm -hmm. I have some thoughts about Power by the Apocalypse and why 
almost every game it seems like or so many games are coming out that are based off of it um it almost seems like people want to use that i say it's easy though i've been told it's actually hard to design for but it's from the outside it seems like it's fairly easy but everybody seems like they want to change one thing just to justify the fact that they changed it like let's we're going to we'll make this one little thing different um so therefore it's enough different to justify the fact that i've created a different game for it <laughs> that's my cynicism though i will say if i were to ever create a game like that i would make it exactly the same the only thing i would change is instead of 2d6 you roll 2d12 so that's it and then the numbers just double well, that makes it a very different game my friend uh, but see i hate rolling d6s they're the most boring die in the world and d12s are the best die in the world so why would you not <laughs> want to use 2d12s so instead of going like, is it one to six? It'd be just be you know two to twelve, and then thirteen to eighteen, and then nineteen to twenty-four. Math should be exactly the same. The spread should be exactly the same. Just don't well, see, have now to roll. You're, now you're doing exactly what you were railing against. You're changing something <laughs> just for the sake of changing. But I'm not changing just for the sake of changing it. I legitimately hate rolling two d six. There's nothing satisfying about rolling two d six. Tell me this: Are you playing this game with your friends who also hate two d sixes, or are you publishing this game? Uh, Probably neither, but because um, if you're publishing the game, you roll two d six because that's what people who play Apocalypse World expect, um, and that's what the system you know that's kind of what it, I mean. If you want to, if you want to take it and say you could make that, you could do the math thing with two with two d twenty if you want. Well, to. no, but I don't. The two d twenties would be terrible. Two d twelves are the best <laughs> die. They have the perfect heft. They have the perfect amount of roll. D twelves are are factually, objectively the best polyhedral die all right clearly you are going to die on the d12 hill so I'm <laughs> yes go. yes uh so rolls of d-pod throughout uh favorite two supplements are edge of the sword and mecton zeta technical manual edge of the sword is a gun book put out for cyberpunk 2020 and it has conversion rules to use them in heroes gurps dnd etc and metcon z technical manual has met construction rules where you can create anything from personal power armor giant robots combiners like voltron and even mega spaceships like the sdf dash one jeez that's quite the system yeah that's uh i mean you that's got you quite, you had me at all those scales voltron yeah that <laughs> i'm sure there's a voltron rpg out there somewhere though there has to be right Probably that Voltron feels like one of those things that would get like they would they would license it out and it would get made and then it would be like okay here's the game and it would get like three four supplements and then the license would expire because it would kind of you know I don't know just like one of those licenses that would it would find its niche all those people would buy it and then it really didn't have anywhere to go. There, there are games like that. Is there a train near you? There is. Okay, just making sure I'm just like hearing things. Um, I guess the problem with Voltron, though, is you kind of have to have, what, five? Is it five or six? Because you've got the arms, the legs, the body, and the head. Five. So you have to have five players. So if you don't have five, then you have to, you know, there's always like a little massaging of the narrative if you have too many or too few. Well, you could, I mean, depending on how the the, the different um, vehicles or robotic things or whatever combine, you, you might be able to do it as three. It just depends on what you're... But yeah, but then again, if, you're going to invent your own thing. But then, and then your cousin shows up, and now you're like, okay, well, I guess we're going to um, Pacific Rim this, and then you two have to work this one part together. <laughs> or, yeah. or the or the or the giant robot suddenly has a tail. Or that, that like the, the Asian twin or triplet. The, the tail, the tail monster is over <laughs> here. We only we only use that when the fourth player shows up. Exactly, it's only for certain specific encounters. 
Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we have a few more people jump in in chat. So far, again, I'm loving the uh, the interaction. I always love when people talk to us in chat. It just makes the um, the game go so much, or the, the game the the show go so much better. So we're going to transition to a different topic. While we're doing that, I'll throw it out to any questions that anyone has. It can be about supplements. It can be about capers. It can be about anything in general. Uh, but there's a little bit of a delay. So if you have any questions you want. Uh, Craig or myself to talk about throw them out there can't promise we will answer all of them or we'll answer all of them well or correctly (laughs) but we will do what we can but we're going to go over to what those numbers were about so one of the things that we used to do and was legitimately one of my favorite things that we did on the show uh, is what we did we called them new student introductions because again we leaned really heavily into the academy theme and this is where we would take the different various classes and backgrounds from 5th edition D&D and just try to come up with some interesting takes on what that character would look like. So our numbers have chosen for us tonight the Warlock class with the criminal background. <laughs> so so we're talking 5th edition. I know that may not be your forte exactly. Uh, and it doesn't have to be strictly to the rules, but just the concept of you're playing a warlock who has a supernatural otherworldly patron that gives them their powers. And you have the criminal background. Um, how, what kind of character class or what kind of character do you think you would you would do with that? Like what is an interesting version of that or what comes to mind? Oh man. Okay. Well, for me, the warlock with the warlock, the most interesting, the most interesting thing is always the patron. Um, and there, you know, and you can kind of have that be whatever you want. You can, you can use one of the patrons that are kind of um, described um, as kind of part of the core, but you can always invent something. Um, and if you're, what was the background criminal criminal? Um, boy, I feel like building like a, a, a warlock that uh, you know is capable in um, in a fight, but uh, is built up with um, warlock abilities um, that kind of lean as much as possible to uh, deception and thievery type stuff. And their patron is um, a uh, a god who has no followers, who was locked away for being just too evil by all the other gods. He was. He was the criminal, you know, like the bad egg of uh, whatever your pantheon, your, whatever your uh, you know, primordials or your uh, uh, um, your titans are, you know, whatever the, the original gods were, that this, this one was just so bad that they locked him away and so he's kind of forgotten, so he doesn't really have po- uh, followers, so he can't be... Um, uh, you know, there, there, there are no clerics of him to say because he's not, he's not, uh, he, he doesn't get his power from that, but he still has, because he's an original godlike being, he still has all this power that's kind of inherent in him. And he whispers um, in the night to, uh, to some warlocks to uh, perhaps with the ultimate goal of ultimately freeing him. So Cthulhu cult monsters. Uh, I mean, Cthulhu, sure. If you want to go to the you know, like mind bending edge of perception kind of stuff, but it, it could be, you know, like they, there's a, um, you know, a, you have a group of uh, the original gods that one of them, um, you know, tread on a, a rule, you know, broke a, broke a rule that all of them, despite, you know, all their different predilections had decided that they would always abide by these things in order to be a cohesive unit to do whatever it is that the gods are going to do and their unfathomable godlike um, agendas. And uh, this this particular one said, ah, I'm not doing that. He said, sure, I'll, he told them all, yeah, I'll do that, fine. And then 
um, they all rose up against him and imprisoned him because he 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 uh, you know he did something really terrible um, in in breaking some sort of a law that they had set down, and that okay. makes him kind of a you know the 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 the, the biggest criminal, the the god criminal. Gotcha. Um, and your warlock kind of ties into that because now they are communicating with this uh, incredibly powerful uh, criminal element. All right. Uh, so Game Master's Vault has to take off. Uh, thank you very much for joining. Really appreciate it. Uh, we do this generally every other Wednesday, but this week we had a, a schedule issue, so we moved it to Thursday. Uh, and then obviously you can find all the old shows on our YouTube page and the audio only. We have hundreds of audio only episodes out there. Um, so the thing that I think about, because we've done these before, I, I didn't have much of a head start on you for this particular combination, but I've done these before. Um, and I always like to try to look at it sort of two ways. The background is what you did before. So you were a criminal and now you're a warlock. So perhaps in the, the commission of your crime is how this came about. You were actually locked away and you were put into a dank dark dungeon and there was like a, a crazy old person down there with you and they were, you were talking and they've sort of initiated you into this power or maybe there was like an artifact buried under the prison and its original purpose was to guard what was beneath it. And over time, people forgot what its true purpose was. And so that power reaches out to you and unlocks your, your powers, your gifts, whatever. And you, you know, you're st I guess you're still technically a criminal because you're probably going to break out in this scenario. But, you know, you, you can make your connection to your patron, your patron while you're serving time as a criminal or maybe as you're when you're running away maybe you're trying to avoid the the coppers um so you take shelter in some you know place you try to hide and then that's where it connects to um which i think again that, that kind of leads into you still being a bad guy you, you were a bad person you're a criminal you're trying to avoid the law and that's how you get your powers the other side which i think might be more interesting is think of it as the the prophet who's not believed you were, you know, you were contacted by this otherworldly creature, this being who's trying to say, I can help you save your world. This other thing is coming and it's really bad, but I can help you. But everyone thinks that person's crazy. <laughs> so they're out trying to like, you know, proselytize. This is coming. No one believes you. You're locked up for being an insane person. So you're having to fight against the non-believers who have you know, the power to arrest you for being a heathen or a false, false idol. Um, and I just think that would be more interesting because that kind of turns the, the warlock on its head from being somewhat of an evil creature or evil, evil force to a force of good that's just not believed. Good times. Yeah, good times, good times. Uh, so we had a question that came in while we were um, setting that up. So short man Ian wants to know, um, as a self-publisher, where do you find the most success currently? Is it Kickstarter, DM Skilled, RPG Now, or other? <laughs> um, the uh, like the, the most the most significant um, in terms of monetary, um, I guess I, that that's what he's asking. Um, is certainly I, through Kickstarter. I mean, I've I've had a couple of other things that um, have have worked out nicely. Drive through RPG. Um, 
was a little dicey um, post mergers and acquisitions because I got a little bit of a tail on that. And I, I sold some copies here and there, but it's kind of a weird little niche game and it didn't quite get a follow. It, it did okay on Kickstarter, but it never really went anywhere. Capers, on the other hand, has actually kind of taken off and done fairly well. Um, and um, I'm seeing, um, at least in the first you know five months or so after I published it, you know, like pretty solid numbers um, on a monthly basis, but nothing compared to what the Kickstarter was. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Kickstarter did over $10,000. And even after I paid for getting the game made, I still made, a, you know, I still actually made a significant profit. I mean, it was the Capers Kickstarter and the Die Laughing Kickstarter last year that allowed me to actually have like Nerdburger Games first pro- truly profitable year. Um, I've managed to stay in the black on, on making games and doing stuff in the, in the past. Um, but last year there's like actual like measurable profit. And, (laughs) and it's something I just want to quickly touch on because I've done this before from my viewpoint, looking in on Kickstarters, I I see particularly someone like yourself, like an indie developer, kind of, kind of a one person show. I mean, obviously you have editors and graphic designers, but for the most part, nerd burger games is pretty much Craig. Um, that there's this sort of feeling that when you're making a Kickstarter that you shouldn't make money. Like you're just trying to pay to get everything made. And I don't know if it's true or not, but my perception is a lot of people design their Kickstarters and even justify like, we're not trying to make money here. We're just trying to get this game. It's a passion project. There is nothing wrong with building in profit into your Kickstarter. You, you've already put time, effort and energy. I think it's totally cool to say, I'm going to make three bucks a copy off this. I, I you know, I want to get to $10,000 to make it worth my time, but $10,000 means I get paid $3,000. I think that's totally okay. And I, I, I wish people would be more open about that and kind of destigmatize what I see is that, that, you know, again, I see comments where people are like, I don't understand the, this and the shipping and blah, blah. I just, I don't know. I, I get, I get the feeling looking in from the outside that some backers, are put off on the fact that people are saying I'm getting paid for doing this. You're not just helping me create this, but there's actually profit. And I just wish it wasn't, I wish people would be like, no, I'm getting paid. Thank you for helping me. My, this is my dream. I want to do this for a living. Thank you for helping me make that happen. And it wasn't sort of seen as a negative. Maybe I'm wrong. It's, it's true that it's just by the nature of, of how Kickstarter has gone over the years. It's, it's become part of the culture of Kickstarter, at least in games, um, tabletop games, board games, card games, RPGs, that, you know, the stretch goal and everything that you add onto the, you know, the, the, as the back, as the, as the funding goes up, that means it's more and more stuff that goes into the game. We get, you know, more content in the book. We get um, an upgrade in, in cards or in the pieces or the board. Um, we add content, we add alternate stuff. We, you know, we do all these special things. Um, and you know, on top of it, things like Kickstarter exclusives, if we hit these things, we get certain kind of perks for people who back through the Kickstarter. And there are there are certainly games out there that doing that with the Kickstarter, getting them to the point of being able to print a whole bunch of copies or whatever it is, you know, get the game done. And they have a game that is probably going to have a good long retail tail, where that is to say it's going to sell well. They're gonna have all these extra copies that they can sell or whatever. Um, over the course of months, if not years afterwards, that's where their profit comes from. But there are a lot of people that are, you know, like myself, that you know, little little indie game designers that I'm not expecting to necessarily see uh, this healthy sales um, 
tail. I might, I'll see sales, but I don't know that it's going to keep going for terribly long. I don't know how, how big it's going to be and, and for how long. So yeah, I absolutely, I, I agree with you. I want to see, I want to make some money in the Kickstarter itself to make it worth my time and effort because I put a lot of time into it. Yeah. At, just as an example, um, you know, I, I have ideas for two more supplements for capers. Um, supplement number two does not get made unless I make money profit on supplement number one because it's it's a lot of work to just barely scrape by to get the supplement out there that's you know and that by its nature a supplement is not going to sell as well as the core game sure yeah just your, your audience is so even, if, so even if it capers is selling fairly well the supplement's not going to sell as well um post kickstarter so i there needs to be some money in the actual Kickstarter. So, and that's a hard sell because it, you know, it's a supplement. So mm -hmm. it's, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of trying to rally the capers fans out there that are really into it saying, Hey, you know, if you want to see number two and number three, throw 10 bucks toward number one, even if noir isn't your thing, there's still powers and other things that you can use. Um, and that, and there's other, you know, game companies and designers that are in that boat that they want to see like, you know, you're like, one of the things that comes out with doing indie RPG stuff, indie game stuff in general, is uh, fair pay for your for your freelancers. You know, paying your writers a reasonable reasonable amount, paying your artists a good a good uh, rate. Well, that goes for you, the designer, as well. You know, it it, it should not be unacceptable for you to actually make money on your project. And I think I think that part of that is is the knit, the niche concept of like the rpg kickstarter because like if i'm like i'm an, a kickstarter and i'm trying to design a new i'm gonna I'm say like some sort of car accessory that goes into every automobile potentially it's a safety feature whatever and i need you know a half a million dollars to to get this to production great but now there's a good chance that is going to sell in perpetuity like if it gets into literally every car, like when seatbelts became mandatory and every car in the world had to get seatbelts. So you're helping me create a product that I am going to potentially sell and make a lot of money from. I don't think that many Kickstarters for RPGs, like you said, the sales from the Kickstarter are probably like 80% of all lifetime sale of that game. Like how many copies are you going to actually sell that's, after the Kickstarter? Very that's entirely possible for, for plenty of designers. Right. Yeah. So if you don't build profit into the Kickstarter, then you're not going to see profit, which that is not the same thing as someone who's making their first album or, you know, they're writing a book or making a documentary. There's no guarantee that those things will make money. But if they do, it will be after the Kickstarter. That, that money is to make it happen. And I think it's a little bit different for board, even, even board games, I think there's probably more of an idea that they're going to go into retail stores. Uh, you know, they're going to show up in Target now and, you know, again, make lots of money, hopefully, for their designers. But I think for RPGs, particularly like indie RPGs, I think I think if you don't build profit into the Kickstarter, you may never see it. I just, again, maybe it's not stigmatized. It feels to me like it is. So maybe I'm wrong. Well, I think it's it's the culture of Kickstarter that it, that the expectation I was talking about is like that as the backing and the and the and the goal goes up that 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 all that money is getting put into making the game better and some of that can be certainly that's an mm -hmm. incentive to get more backers but some of it should go to the to the design. But I I do worry and again I don't want to get too far in this rabbit hole but I do I do see and feel like there are some games that like they they want a hundred thousand dollars for their game, but they set their goal at thirty thousand dollars, and then they make stretch goals that are just the game they were going to make anyways at forty, fifty, sixty, and seventy. 
Um, so you're really, the stretch goals are not truly stretch goals. And they, then either you're not really getting extras for the stretch goals or the, the, the designers get themselves in trouble where they don't get to what they actually wanted to get to. They get to 50,000, which isn't enough for them, but they were betting on the fact that they would get to 100, but they set their goal at 30 so they could just put, hey, we funded in 12 hours, even though we only put our goal at 30% of what we actually needed. So again, I don't know if that's true. Me looking from the outside, I think, I think I'm seeing that. Uh, Short Man Ian had another question. Uh, how, many, how much time each week do you dedicate to writing? Yeah. Um, that varies wild, wildly depending on where I'm at relative to, you know, where a game is at versus where, you know, if I've got a Kickstarter to do, like, you know, this week, I, I wrote very little. Um, as far as true design, I did a lot of, you know, I've, I've been going through the Capers Noir um, final manuscript. I'm going to be handing that off to the layout person in about a week or so. Um, I generate, I created the Kickstarter page um, over the course, you know, kind of in bits and pieces over the last couple of weeks. Um, and I got uh, die laughing out the door um, and did, you know, so it was a lot of advertising. It was a lot of market kind of stuff. I was like, I got had to get all the stuff out, get, all, get everything out to backers and then post everywhere and let everybody know that it's out there. And then also reach out to Indie Press Revolution and start getting the wheels turning on that so I could put the game with them and all sorts of things. But I mean, like when I'm in the depths of like, when I don't have a lot other stuff going on, um, you know, I, I might spend 10 hours 15 hours in a week designing in some manner or form. I mean, I, in, a, in a given week, I probably spend at least at least 10 hours a week doing something with my game stuff. And I can spend as much as 30 or 40 um, if I'm, you know, really hard hard down to get, like if I have a, if I have a Kickstarter that I'm dealing with to, to get fulfilled and I'm designing something and I'm wrangling play testers, you know, there's there's a lot to be done. It, it just it fluctuates up and down constantly. Gotcha. All right, so um, that's all the questions we have so far. So one more time, I'll throw it out for any additional questions for myself or for Craig. Uh, while we're waiting for the chat to catch up, Craig, where can people find you on the internet? Where can they find your work? Oh, you can find me at nerdburgergames.com. That's the website. I've got a whole, but there's all sorts of information up there, including a contact page that has all of the following stuff on it. Um, there's a Discord um, where we're forming up like a nice little community, actually, um, and you can get you can find an invite link for that there. I'm at Nerdburger Craig on Twitter, and uh, you can buy all the games that I have done um, that are complete on um, uh, DriveThruRPG.com. And uh, am, am I allowed to uh, advertise another Twitch? Sure. Okay. Um, Last Saturday, I hosted the first episode um, running um, Capers, two hours at a pop, um, for uh, the Roll For It Twitch uh, channel. That's R-O-L-L, the number four, it. Um, and we, we're, we're playing Capers, um, or I'm running Capers for four people. Uh, two hours um, uh, on 10.30 a.m. Eastern, so like 10.30 to 12.30 um, Eastern. And I'll be doing it for three more weekends. It's going to be like a nice little tight little story that we're going to tell. Um, and there's uh, there's uh, discounts to be given out and all sorts of things. And 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 Roll Forward does really solid uh, 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 actual play and, and uh, game uh, game streaming. We've got people that we're we're in costume. We're you know we're in voices and having a lot of fun with it. All right, very cool. Um... And it's up on. They have a YouTube channel where you can watch the first episode and get caught up. 
So I got a question for you. While you're thinking of your answer, if you have one, I'll give out my stuff. Uh, so Sheriff Jetsorian also asked if you're familiar with it. Um, I am not. Do you feel that the mutants and mastermind supplements differ from the power creep represented in D&D and other systems? Oh, I'm, I don't know my way around mutants and masterminds. Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Level, sorry. Yeah, I, uh, I, I think I played it one time. It was not a good experience, and I've been soured on it ever since. Uh, so I'm not really, unfortunately, not very familiar with it. Uh, but you can find all my stuff at the RPG Academy website, Facebook, Instagram, though I never post there, Twitter, I'm most active, and uh, a catacon. It's going live March 21st. It's less than a month away. Uh, we have a very aggressive goal this year. Speaking of getting money through Kickstarter, we have no profit built into ours. Ours is just to make sure we can afford to have everything, and we hope that we sell enough badges after to, to actually break even. Um, but we are going back to uh, having all badge types again. So last year we just did VIPs through the Kickstarter, and we had like you know sponsorships and everything, and we sold all the other badges after the fact. We're going to put all the badges back on the Kickstarter, which is why we have such an aggressive goal, because we should be able to get there. But all the badges will also be available for sale after, assuming we don't sell out. But again, the Kickstarter has to fund. Otherwise, there's a really good chance that Catacon will not happen. So if you think about going, uh, the Kickstarter is the way to go. And we do offer refunds minus the 10% we lose to Kickstarter up to November. So if you're not sure if you'll have a job, have a different, you know, different employment somewhere, uh, married, divorced, new kids, a lot can change in the eight months. We get that. But if you want to throw some money with the understanding that you may not actually be able to make it, we'll give you your money back up to November 1st minus 10%. So we try to make it as easy for you as possible to support us, even if you're not sure what the future may hold. So I'm, when does that Kickstarter begin, Michael? March 21st, 2 p.m. We're Eastern. Be, we're going to be Kickstarter buddies. Oh, yay. Da, da, da. We're going to be running at the same time. We'll, we'll have to like, we'll, we'll, we'll tweet each other out. We'll do what we can for each other. <laughs> so thank you so very much for joining me tonight, Craig. Congratulations on the success and the award for Capers. Uh, and for your conversation, uh, hopefully the, uh, the supplement does well enough that we can see the next one after that. And then, of course, the next one after that. To everybody in chat who's still here or maybe who jumped off, thank you again. I say it every year. or God, every time, every, every year. year. Say it every time. I enjoy the show so much more when we have people in chat talking to us. I just think it makes the show go so much better. Um, so thank you. And we'll see you around. So with that, we'll do an awkward wave out and say bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out the RPGAcademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. 
Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the DriveThru RPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at therpgacademy.com and reach us on social media such as Facebook and Google Plus at the RPG Academy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, the Caleb G, at the Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at the RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.